This is M.I.P. With Masamela Mafumo. Mark Thompson. Get woke. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, it's that time of the month. We always check in with our dear friend. He's the chief economist at the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, centeronbudget.org, and a Phillies fan as well. We'll see what happens. We're just talking about the games. Chad Stone is here. Chad, how are you, buddy? I'm well, Mark. How are you? Just fine. Good to see you as always. And again, good to have another good jobs report for the month of September, 336,000 jobs. Yeah, it was a, it's a good job. It's always important to start out a conversation about the jobs report to talk about the fact that we have two surveys. We have data from two surveys. One is asking the payroll survey, which asks employers, how many people do you have on your payroll? And the other is the household survey, which asks households, what's the labor force status of people in the household? Are you working? Are you actively looking for work, i.e. unemployed? Or are you not in the labor force? And we got slightly different stories from the two, but you mentioned the, the 336,000 jobs in the payroll report, which was quite strong. And there were upward revisions to the previous two months. In the last jobs report for August, there were downward revisions to the previous two months, which subtracted from the overall job gains since the, since the pandemic. But this time, we basically... The revisions went the opposite direction by roughly the same size. So it's really a solid report on the, on the payroll employment side. Isn't the average over the past three months, July, August, September, greater, the average number of jobs gained, greater than the average for the months, the first half of this year? That's right. 266,000 oh, 266, jobs a month in July, August, September, and it was 257,000 jobs in the first half of the year, a month in the first half of the year. So yeah, so there's been, it's been actually a little bit stronger recently than in the first half of the year. And we're at, so that averages out to approximately 260,000 jobs per month. And we've talked about this before. Normally we would expect job growth to slow down when we're at this level of unemployment, but that's, it's not really slowing down, is it? It's not, it's slower this year than it was in last year, but it's still very strong and it's not, yeah. it has not been slowing down over the course of the year. Yeah. Yeah. The unemployment, so the unemployment rate is unchanged. And again, that can mean a couple of things. We know you've taught us, as you just alluded to the way the numbers work, in the sense that unemployment rate goes up sometimes based upon the number of people who are going back into the job market looking for a job. So that can say two things, if it's remained the same for the month of September, or does it, that more people, there aren't as many more people coming back in looking at the, in the month of September, but at the same time, there aren't as many people losing jobs and jobs either. Do I have that right? That, that, that's right. I, okay. I, I, to be to be to be com completely accurate, there's lots of people who lose their jobs and lots of people who gain their jobs in every month, and so it's not necessarily the same people that are that are in each category. But there's a lot of there's a lot of churn. But yes, in the aggregate, we're what we've been under four percent unemployment for a very long time, and that's that's a healthy household 
survey number, even though it's up a little bit at 3.8 from some from some earlier ones that were that were a little lower than that. It's still a really good household number. And the labor force participation rate is is still pretty strong. Yes, uh, the labor force participation rate is the number of employed people plus unemployed people who are actively looking for work. That's the size of the labor force as a share of the population. And, and that's quite strong. It's stronger if we focus just on workers in their prime work, prime age workers, age 25 to 54, because the, the total population is 16 and over. And that includes an increasing number of retirees from the baby boom moving through the pipeline and lots of them being retired. So that there's a downward trend not related to the economy in the overall 16 and over labor force participation. That's why we look at 25 to 54, because there's not such a downward trend yeah. for, to population. And, and that number, 2554, is at 83.5% which is higher than it was prior to the February 2020 recession. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's staying it, It's It's, it's it, yeah, the 2554 labor force participation rate is, is above where, in other words, it's still been, it, there's ups and downs, big down, then a big up during the actual recession. Right. But the trend is that it's slightly higher now than it was um, before the recession. Chad, it, in, in your analysis, I'm reading something here. In September, government employment increased by 73,000 above the average monthly gain of 47,000 over the prior 12 months. Over the month, job gains occurred in state government, education, up 29,000, and in local government, in excluding education, up 27,000. Explain that to me, the, the difference between state government education and local government education. Because, I, I, yeah, explain that delineation. I think I know, but I just want to be clear. Yeah, okay. So what you, what you, what you were citing is directly from the um, employment report that the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics produces. And state education is public universities and, and things like that, whereas local education is elementary and secondary school. Well, That's what I thought. Yeah. That's what I thought. But I'll, that worries me a little bit still, because we've talked about education has never really gotten back to what it was pre-pandemic. We could always look at monthly numbers and we could chart the education jobs going up during the regular school year. So clearly we're back in the regular school year, September, just started. That is a little odd to me that local government, elementary and secondary, still is not what it once was. So am I reading right. too so much? So local, local government education, local government, which includes lots of other things, is back very close to where it was. Okay. Um, but the, the local government education is still depressed compared with where it was pre-pandemic. And I haven't done any deep analysis of what's going on there, but I don't know. There, Education also includes bus drivers and service workers and things like that in local education, not just teachers. And I don't have to do some some deeper digging to get a to get a real story there. But it is it's it's come back a lot, but it, but it, but it's still down a lot from 
it went down a huge amount. Local government education went down a huge amount in the pandemic. And most of it has come back, but there's still a, a non-trivial gap. The other area we look at a lot is leisure and hospitality. Leisure and hospitality added 96,000 jobs in September, above the average monthly gain of 61,000 over the prior 12 months. Employment in food services and drinking places rose by 61,000 over the month of September and has returned to its pre-pandemic February 2020 level. Accommodation employment trended up 16,000 jobs but it remains below its February 2020 level in the area of accommodation employment. But we right. talked about, I, I'm I, sorry, go ahead. So we lumped, to, lumped together leisure and hospitality when we're talking about that, when we've been talking about the numbers being down. But in fact, it's really, it's really significant that employment in food services and drinking places rose to a level that leaves it uh, where it was returned to its pre-pandemic level. So all the jobs that got lost, but not the specific jobs, but the employment that got lost is, is back in the eating and drinking component. But in the hospitality component is still down substantially. It's still, and, and there's also sports and entertainment also in there, but, but they're, they're small. Okay. Uh, so there's, there's one, one piece of leisure and hospitality is back close to where it was or where it was, and that's uh, eating and drinking. But uh, hospitality is, people are still not doing as much traveling. And, and I guess business travel is probably down so that uh, the hotels are not getting business. Yeah, yeah. More people are, are, are working and in hybrid situations and all of that. As, as we know, many of you who are our listeners are uh, in that situation. So now, if we want to take a look at some of the demographic breakdowns, in September, Black unemployment increased by four-tenths of a percent. Hispanic went down by three-tenths of a percent. Asian went down by three-tenths of a percent. And white unemployment remains unchanged. But as you have noted, they all of these rates are pretty much back where they were in February 2020. In fact, the African-American unemployment rate was 6% in February 2020. It's now 5.7. February 2020, Hispanic 4.4. September 2023, 4.6. Unemployment rate Asian 2.6. February 2020, September 2023, 2.8. And then white unemployment, 3% in February 2020, 3.4 in September 2023. And again, this just speaks to the systemic issues that we know still exist in this country when it comes to race and employment. And it just doesn't, it just doesn't seem to change. The, when the unemployment rate is low, the national unemployment rate is low because economic activity is relatively strong, as it was just before the pandemic, and as it is now. The the, the black unemployment rate is down substantially, but it's still higher than the white rate. And in a, in a, in a in a recession, 
it goes up a lot, much faster. And, and in the recovery, it's stronger, but still the black rate is, is much too high. Mm-hmm. And month-to-month variation is complicated by the fact that this is, these numbers are based on a survey and the number of observations in the survey of black households is relatively small. And so there's a big standard of error, a big plus or minus around the estimate. And so it varies month to month over, over a bit of a range, but it's always lower than the, than the white rate. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. So again, another good month. We will see, and we're getting into pretty soon the holiday season. It seems to get earlier every year. Uh, <laughs> I remember we didn't see Christmas decorations until after Thanksgiving. We're in the holiday season early again, as always. So now, and we'll, we'll see what that yields for, but this has been a, a good recovery. It has been. It's been a very good recovery. Yeah, that's the bottom line. Looking at the jobs reports lately compared to compared to where we were in, in the recession. It's really quite strong. No, you're absolutely right. Chad Stone, Center on Budget and Policy Priorities. Good luck to the Phillies. You want to make a prediction? There'll be a game tonight, unless it rains. <laughs> and I, I, they still in Philadelphia, right? They're, this is the first, they're just back in Philadelphia. The first oh, that's, right, that's, that's right, that's right. It's only been, yeah, because the schedule. So, so they Philly. split in Atlanta, so right. that, that's an advantage. Right. If they win the next two games, they've won this five-game series. Right. So for the moment, they have home field. Yep. Because they'll be home in Philly. All right. Yep. You're going to try to get out of Washington and go to the game, one of the games? I don't think there's, I don't think there's any tickets. Besides, <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in D.C. right now working. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I'll be up in Philly tonight. What else? I'm trying to get you to. Play hooky from work, man. Well, but look, look, you don't want to be in the unemployment column, though, right? You don't. <laughs> It'd be something, y'all. We talking about employment. I'm trying to get Chad to leave work and get in trouble. That's not good. Uh, good thing I'm not Have our fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Chad, thank you, man. You're welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, a pleasure to be joined once again by the deputy director of the National Economic Council, Joel Gamble. God bless you, madam deputy director. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? Just fine. Glad to have you back. Joe Biden, Joe Biden's the first president that we ever heard talk about getting rid of junk fees. Most Americans have just been beholden to him, helpless. We see him and say, what is this? But then there's nothing we can do about them. They're just there. So finally today, something is about to happen, isn't it? Please tell us what that is. Lord have mercy. Yes. So today, the president is continuing to take on these big special interests and lower costs for hardworking families by cracking down on what he talks about, these unfair hidden junk fees that are all over the place in the United States. There are two announcements that he's making today. First is that the Federal Trade Commission is cracking down on junk fees across the economy with a proposed rule that requires companies to basically be upfront about the prices they're charging. So you don't see these hidden fees right when you're about to check out. So this will event tickets and hotels, apartments, car rentals, and more. The second thing he's going to announce, so the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is banning fees on basic bank services that you might see for doing basic things like checking your account balance. Yeah, that, that's ridiculous to even have to be, get a fee for that. So this is something, or these are things that uh, the FTC and the CFPB uh, can do without 
Congress. This is something that can happen in the executive branch then. Yes, this is something they can do with their own existing authority from Congress. So, of course, I'm always happy to partner with the Congress, more approaches to help the American people. And the reason why these actions are so important is because these junk fees add up. They cost Americans tens of billions of dollars each year. They can lead to folks having to pay up 20% more for the price of goods and services than they otherwise should. And by making the pricing transparent and clear and banning unnecessary fees, it means that there's also more competition between companies. They actually have to compete on the real price that they're charging you, which can help lower costs because people are competing for customers instead of kind of tricking them in on a false advertised. So what the FTC will do is mandate that there's full disclosure on the fees they're charging us. That's the first step. And then the CFPB, they're actually, they can actually say to the banks, this is something you can stop, not just provide the disclosure of what you're charging. They can actually say to the banks, you don't need to charge this at all. Am I understanding that correctly? I think that's correct, yes. But the FTC is saying you can't hide the price of what you're charging, let's say for an event ticket. You have to tell the consumer when they're trying to decide whether or not to buy a ticket or which ticket they're even choosing. We're just using tickets as an example. This is across the board issue. How much the ticket actually costs versus having a lower cost, let's say it's $50, you go to check out and you've got XB here and XB there and you're already committed to buying the ticket. So it's harder for people to back out at that point. So that's what the FTC is doing. And the CFPB can point to you know, unfair practices in the banking sector for consumers. That's why it's able to do things like ban certain kinds of fees. Now, so people will relate to this, I'm sure. I'll make this real relevant. Y'all know when we were trying to buy the Beyonce tickets online, Depending upon which platform you were buying them on, like I'm going to name it, but there was one platform, you had an option to check a box to see all the fees up front. But every platform didn't have that. So a lot of us were buying Beyonce tickets and they were expensive. And then when we got to check out what we saw ourselves negotiating a price on the thing, well, we can, I can afford this. Then it got to the checkout, Madam Deputy Director, and there was a lot of fees attached to the Beyonce ticket. And of course, by this time, you bought into it because you're excited, you want to go to this Beyonce concert, you want to go, but you're stuck into the fees at that point and you didn't even know at the beginning how much they weren't calculated into the actual price of the ticket. That's, you mentioned tickets, that's, that's to me the perfect example of, and I think everybody, if you hadn't experienced it before, you experienced it this summer. No, that's correct. And there's some companies that are, you know, voluntarily being upfront, but that's not fair. You actually want to have a level playing field so that everyone is being upfront about the price. And so that they actually have to compete on the price to right. get you to buy a ticket from their platform. Competition in the U.S. economy. And this practice is keeping, for instance, the ticket um, platforms from being as competitive as they can. It hurts smaller companies who want to actually do the right thing and compete. And so the goal here is to make sure that the prices are lower because companies actually have to compete what they're actually charging them. Now... The president has said that he'd like to see a lot of this eliminated. We're not quite there yet, but I guess this is a step. Is, is it still a plan or a process where a lot of this ultimately may be able to be done away with at all? First of all, as you alluded to, competition will help some of that, won't it? Because then the companies will say, wait a minute now, we got to compete now. People will know we're charging more on the junk than another company is. So that will help eliminate it. But ultimately, 
is there any regulation that might allow us down the road to see to it that most of these and not all of them can possibly go away? There's been a lot of work that's been done and the president will continue to do this to try to get rid of a lot of these fees. One way to do it is to ban type of fee. The other is to make sure that all of the fees are actually in one price. Those are the two actions he's announcing today. But the president's also been cracking down on junk fees for bounced checks and overdraft fees. And so um, those are other ways to crack down on junk fees. The Department of Transportation, for instance, is publishing a dashboard of airline delay, cancellation, and family seating policies, which has led to nine airlines to change their own policies to guarantee better coverage for hotels and, and meals and other sorts of things that you know families should get if they were supposed to get on a flight and it didn't work out and it was the airline's fault. Lots of progress has been made more to do here. It's an ongoing initiative for the president, but we've already seen some real savings for families from what's already been done. Just want to share this number. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau finds that bounce check fees are down more than 86% since 2021 because of steps that have been taken. That amounts to almost $2 billion. Two thirds of banks have eliminated these fees altogether. There's also, as part of the rollout today, a way to make it easier for consumers to actually break up with their banks too, if they don't like what's going on. You all know how they have all these incentives, break up with your cell phone company, go to this other cell phone company. This will make it easier to actually do it with banks now, won't it? Yes, because consumers should have choice, right? And choice is, is good because choice forces companies to essentially compete on the quality of their services and not on, on gimmicks or contract terms. So folks, this is important. And we also know the Department of Transportation has already made a lot of headway in terms of the extra fees that the airlines charge. I know that was also a pet project of President Biden's as well. He spoke there. That was the anecdote that he most often had been giving and talking about these fees was the airlines and all the little stuff that, that they charge. So this is, uh, this is very, very important. This is good news. And we're well on our way to changing some of this. And hopefully this will keep going and it'll be easier on all of us, especially as the holidays are about to be upon us. The Deputy Director of the National Economic Council, Joelle Gamble, has been our guest once again. Thank you again, Madam Deputy Director. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. As always, perform an act of kindness on behalf of an elder or young person. Write a letter to a sister brother who just so happens to find her or himself incarcerated. Offer libations to the ancestors upon whose sturdy shoulders we all now stand. And above all, give thanks to the God of your understanding by whatever name you call her and him. All God asks of us is that we give each other love. Thanks for giving MIP love. And please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain.